November 19, 1994, in the old building on Touring Ford West Street, it was about in that front pew, I came on a Wednesday night service, sat in the back, waited for everyone to leave, and uh, went to uh, Pastor Gill and said, I came to get saved, and he introduced me to Pastor Schott for the first time, and Pastor Schott led me to the Lord on the, right on that front pew that night. It's been all uphill from there, truly. God changed my life, and I just pray that my life song can sing to him, and everything good that's happened to me has been because of him. I do give the rest of the credit to my wife, because she's the best thing that's ever happened to me since I've been saved, and I want to preach a message tonight, God laid I was really praying about what to preach when I got here. And um, I want to turn to the book of Job, if you will, in the chapter 42. It's the last chapter of the book of Job. And I want to preach out of the end of someone's life, and I want to preach a message called A New Beginning. A New Beginning. And we're going to go through verses 7 through 17. Um, and when you get there, if you'll stand... And we'll read together verses 7 through 17. I'll begin and read verse, verse 7. And if you'll read the even numbers with me, and I'll continue to read in the odd-numbered verses, Job chapter 42, verse 7 through 17. Okay. Everyone's standing, and I think we're all there. I hear a few of the pages flipping. That's all right. Job chapter 42, verse 7, the Bible says, And it was so that after the Lord had spoken these words unto Job, the Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, My wrath is kindled against thee and against thy two friends, for ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right, as my servant Job hath. Therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks and seven rams, and go to my servant Job. And offer up yourselves a burnt offering, and my servant Job shall pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly, and that ye have not spoken of me the thing which is right, like my servant Job. So Eliphaz the Temanite, and Bildad the Shuhite, and Zophar the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded them. The Lord also accepted Job, and the Lord turned. Also, the Lord came. Then came there unto, unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all that they had been of his acquaintance before and did eat bread with him in his house and they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord had brought upon him. Every man also gave him a piece of money and every one an earring of gold. So the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than his beginning. He had also seven sons and three daughters, and he called the name of the first Jemima. And the 
And in all the land were no woman found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. So Job died being old and full of days. May God add his blessing to the reading of his word this evening. Let's bow and pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for Job. Thank you for his testimony. God, thank you for his example. And God, thank you for every event that happened in his life, how we can equate it and apply it to ours this very day in this modern time. So God, I ask, Lord, your blessing on the remainder of the service tonight. And if there's anyone here within the sound of my voice, we're looking for a new beginning, a new start, a fresh and a new, what you offer through the blood of Jesus Christ. May someone not leave here without making that decision to get saved, to turn to Christ, repent of their sins, ask for forgiveness and receive you as their Savior. God, may you be honored and glorified in all that's said and done here in your midst. And we pray in Jesus' name, amen. So, yes, thank you. (laughs) Thanks, brother. (laughs) No, I want you to stand through the whole thing. On one foot. No, I'm just... (laughs) Let me just see if I can summarize the story of Job in about 30 seconds. We read chapter 42, and we read at the end of Job's life, we we read after everything that had happened. Most of us here tonight, I would concur that most of us here tonight has at least heard of, the, heard of the book of Job, maybe know the story of Job, and understand that in chapter 1, the Bible describes Job as a righteous man, a man who eschewed evil. And, and Job uh, and Satan uh, went to and fro the earth, and he went to the throne room of God, and he and he asked God, he said, there's, I've been everywhere, all over this earth, and, and there's nobody... Nobody that I can, I can torture, nobody I can torment. And God said, have you considered my servant Job? I love that passage of scripture because the Bible is so applicable to every person, everywhere, for all times and all ages. And, and, and if you could just put your name in place of all the other names in the Bible, you'll realize that that could very well be you. And it's a scary thought sometimes if you're not prepared for it spiritually that Satan is, is looking to, has a, He's got a, you've got a target on your back. If you've named the name of Jesus Christ, if you're born again, you've, you've got a target from the devil on your back. Okay, a big old bullseye. And, and, he, and, and God says, have you considered my servant? And put your name in that blank. We look sometimes at, the, at these people in the Bible, we look at them in such awe because they've done such magnificent things, but really they didn't do a single thing, they just, did, they just obeyed God. And see, that's the whole thing, we need to obey God. And, and, and God, does not, uh, do, um, God does not do ordinary things with, with extraordinary people. In fact, it's the other way around. He does extraordinary things with ordinary people. Yeah, I also like the, the phrase that goes, God doesn't call the qualified, he qualifies the call. So, we've been through quite a year. And we're still going through it. Okay? Every day we're turning on the news. It, it, seems, uh, it, it, it seems that um, every time you turn, there's nothing good coming out of that 
news, okay? There's nothing good. If it's not about a pandemic, it's about an impeachment. If it's not about an impeachment, it's about something different. It's about some kind of riot. It's, it's all kinds of riots, whether it's riots that happened at the Capitol or whether it's riots that have been going on every day that really don't get covered as much, by the way. But that, that's a whole other sermon. I'll leave that for Pastor Shot. Okay? I don't want to, you know, but, but what, I'm, what I'm getting at is, you know, God, if God saved you, he gave you a fresh start, a new beginning. A new beginning. And Job was this righteous man. He had it all, successful business, lots of land, possessions, beautiful family, prominence, success. And in one moment, Job lost everything. And I don't know how one man can endure, okay? I don't know how one man can endure what Job endured. All of his possessions, gone. All of his prominence, gone. Even his children, gone. But the Bible says in Job chapter 122 that in all this, Job sinned not nor charged God foolishly. What does that mean? It means he maintained his integrity. Each and every one of us has an integrity to maintain. If you name the name of Jesus Christ, you've got a target on your back. Not just from the devil, but from the world. From all your old friends. From your, your family members who don't quite understand just what on earth are you doing? I didn't raise you like this. You got a target, you see. But he maintained his integrity. And folks, that's what we need. We need integrity. What to God, the New Testament church maintained its integrity today. And I don't think all of us have maintained it. If, it. if we have, this place would be busting out the doors. Social distancing or no social distancing. We'd find a spot for people. We'd make sure they heard the message. They'd make sure they would hear the message from the Bible. See, much of the book of Job contains conversations about people trying to make sense out of suffering. Job's friends were no help. Okay, we understand who Job's three friends are. In fact, I kind of liked Job's three friends until they started talking. Think about what they did. The Bible says that they made an appointment to mourn with Job. They rent themselves in sackcloth and ash, and they, 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 for seven days, and I, it was Jewish custom, for seven days, you would mourn with, the, with, the, with somebody. Somebody who lost a loved one. He lost all his loved ones except his wife. Now, we tease about Job's wife, but I'll tell you, you know, and we always say, why did God keep, why did God, and she said, don't, why don't you just curse God and die? But I'll tell you, in all seriousness, and I, I, I was thinking about this, and I can get in trouble if I answer it one way, but I will, I will put this point in perspective. That's Job's wife. That's one flesh. So Job didn't, Satan didn't take Job, nor did he take his wife, because the two are one flesh. Think about that. But, you see, Job's friends, as they started talking, and after that appointment to mourn was over, the blame, they blamed Job, and they assumed that he actually did something so horribly wrong to suffer such fate. But God makes it clear that Job wasn't suffering because of some secret sin in his life. All of this brings us to chapter 42. Aren't you glad I went through the whole book of Job line by line, precept by precept, right? And now we're in chapter 42, folks. Five minutes, not too bad. And really, it brings Job's story to a close. But perhaps 
It can bring ours, if we read it and apply it to ourselves, it can bring our story to a brand new beginning. See, do you remember as a child being fascinated with stories that were larger than life? Stories that were filled with wonder and imagination? Those books would capture our attention and fill us with such excitement and wonder. And most of those stories began the same exact way. They would say, once upon a time. And then with those words, it would whisk you off into the lands of kings, queens, princes, and prince, princesses, and knights, and good and evil, and good overcomes evil, as well as love and marriage. And in those books, after all the twists, all the turns, good will prevail, evil is defeated, and peace returns. And the same six words announce the ending which every children love to read, and they lived happily ever after. Okay? Cinderella did. Sleeping Beauty did, Prince Charming did, even the Beast and Beauty lived happily ever after. But as we grow older, cynicism with a bit of reality makes us wonder, how could they always live happily ever after? Is that the way it really works? Is that what happens in life? You see, the truth is, and we all know, and like I alluded to a minute ago, it's not a perfect world. It's very far from a perfect world. And not even those great characters who appear in the pages of the Bible would live happily ever after. So are you ready for this next statement? Okay, lean forward. Let me, no, I'm just kidding. Not even Job lived happily ever after. In fact, he still had to live in this imperfect world and still face struggles and pain. But God granted him a new beginning because he was faithful. He maintained his integrity and his endurance, and he endured to the end. So, folks, there's so many rewards for the Christian who maintains their integrity and endures this world. There's going to be so much reward for this brother in Iran. I would hate to be facing the judgment he's about to face to, tomorrow, probably closer or closer to tomorrow in Iran right now than, than, we, than we will be when we wake up. By the time we wake up, I, his decision will probably be made. And, all, and we, as Brother Tim alluded, we are so, so blessed to live in the United States of America. We get upset over this administration and that administration and this and that and the next thing. But I always tell myself, I'm so, I don't tell myself, I tell people this. I'm so glad I never have to vote for a Savior. God is in control. And He is on the throne. You see, so I want to mention tonight three ways that God can give you a new beginning. Three ways. If you're taking notes, jot this down. We'll look at ver through verse 7 and 9. We'll read that again. But number one, God sets the record straight. Go it's God who sets the record straight. You see, verses 7 through 9, once again, the Bible says that, and it was so that after the Lord, okay, it was the Lord had spoken those words to Job. The Lord said to Eliphaz the Temanite, Here's what he said, I'd be scared, I'd be shaken in my boots or in my sandals if I was in their area. He said to Eliphaz the Temanite, my wrath is kindled against thee. Can you imagine the Lord saying that to you? My wrath is kindled against you. Whew. Man, my wrath is kindled and against your two friends, thy two friends. For ye have not spoken of me the thing that is right as my servant Jove has. You see, 
Job was, on the, was being pushed against the gate and pushed against the gate. And, the, and his friends were trying to figure out what he did. You did. You had to do something. Goodness, just admit it. Come clean, come clean, come clean. And now God set the record straight. He said, you have not spoken right as my servant Job had. And then he says, therefore, take unto you now seven bullocks, seven rams, and go to my servant Job and offer up for yourself a burnt offering. And my servant Job shall pray for you. And this is... Here's an, here's an even more sobering thought. My servant Job will pray for you. For him will I accept, lest I deal with you after your folly. I, God's saying this to, his, to, to Eliphaz. Job's going to pray for you, and I'm going to deal with you later. Whew. There's another sobering thought right there. He says, lest I deal with your folly. And that you might have spoken of me the thing that which is right, like my servant Job. He repeats it again. So Eliphaz the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite and Zophar the Namathite went and did according as the Lord commanded. And the Lord also accepted Job. See, what happens first here in our package is he had to be just a little bit satisfying for Job, don't you think? And finally, Job was vindicated. Not only was he vindicated he was vindicated by God. God showed up in a major way. And he had rebuked Job, by the way, not because of some gross sin that led to all this suffering, but for his wrong view about God. Listen, God doesn't wink at sin. No matter how righteous you are or think you might be, and you, you stumble, your penalty is the same penalty as anybody else's. God don't wink at sin. He brings it to the forefront. He confronts it and gets rid of it because he's holy. He rebuked Job, and God turns to Job's three friends. While Job was suffering, Job's friends were trying to make sense of it. But instead of being a help, all they did was hurt. They made those false assumptions about Job and made false assertions about God. And Job had been saying all along, you're wrong, you're wrong, but they wouldn't hear it. Now God says, now God says it, and they have nothing to say. God says, for ye have not spoken the thing that is right as my servant Job had. And here we see God setting the record straight. When you want a new beginning in life, you've got to let God set the record straight. Don't try to defend yourself. It's not going to happen. You cannot convince other people how wrong they are and how right you are, no matter how wrong you are and how right they are. It's, it's a losing battle. You know... We see God setting the record straight, and of course that involves God's relationship with Eliphaz, Bildad, and Zophar, but it even goes beyond that. It involves the relation, their relationship with Job as well. That's why God gave him those specific instructions in, in, in verse 8. And now, you know, I like sometimes finding humor in things, and sometimes I find simple humor in the, in the Bible in the simplest things. And maybe it's intended, maybe not. But here's how I see the scene unfolding. God approaches these three friends, says, you were wrong, Job was right. What can they say? They're finally confronted with their error, so their, their three friends are happy to get on their knees and repent. And God says, no, 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 no. Here's what you need to do. You go get some animals for sacrifice. You go to see your buddy Job, and you ask him to pray for you. How humbling that must be. Here's the guy you accused and assumed and you were wrong and now you got to face him and eat a bunch of humble pie. Or here it might be a humble uh, goat or whatever he is. for. But you're going you're gonna to eat that hum humble pie. 
And don't imagine that it's the last thing these guys wanted to do. Look at that verse again. It says, for I will accept his prayer not to deal with you according to your folly. So you're going to ask Job to pray for you, and you better hope Job prays that I don't deal with you according to your folly. It puts it in perspective, does it not? Folks, when you wrong a brother and sister in Christ, you better hope that brother and sister doesn't retaliate to your face. Rather, he goes home in his private altar in his prayer closet and retaliates on his knees and asks God to forgive you for your folly. That's what has to happen. You want a new beginning, you gotta set the you gotta have that record's gotta be straightened out. And you see, I he says, I hear your prayers just fine, but I'm not listening to a thing you say until Job makes it right. Then ask him to pray for you. Folks, if we are praying to God and we are in sin or we have not made right with a brother, what does the Bible say in the God? And he says, if if you if your brother has ought. Leave your sacrifice at the altar, go back and make it right, then come back and, re- and I'll receive your sacrifice. But if you don't do that, if you don't humble yourself and make right with your brother or sister in the Lord, you just are going to be praying and God's going to be hearing you like Charlie Brown hears a school teacher. It's, a, it's, I, it's really, really a serious issue. See, God says, I hear your prayers. You see... Do we get that picture in mind? And, and so, how humiliating it would be. But how important and necessary it is. We have to humble ourselves and pray. God says it in, in all over the Bible. And of course, I'm sure most every Christian's memory verse this past year has been 2 Chronicles 7.14. If my people who are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face... And turn from their wicked ways. By the way, that's a formula. That wasn't just some random thing. I believe that's a formula in order. You gotta humble yourself first. You gotta pray second. You gotta seek God's face while you're praying. And then you gotta turn. You gotta repent. You gotta turn from your wicked ways. Then I will hear from heaven. I will forgive your sin and heal your land. This land will never be healed until our sin is forgiven. If we have a problem with this country, ask God what you need to do to get right with him. Truly. We have to get this right, church. We don't have much more time before Jesus comes back. I believe that with all my heart. Now, I'm not some fanatic who's going to put a date on the calendar. He could come back tonight. He can come back 100 years from now. But we got to live like Jesus Christ died yesterday, was buried today, and rose again this afternoon, and is coming back tonight. You see, I don't know... If it's like this in your home, but when kids fight about something, you get two real different kinds of stories. It doesn't matter if it's the 15-year-old or the 7-year-old, because i got a 15-year-old and two 7-year-olds, or any of them in between. But as a parent, when you step into the war zone, you clearly have two different accounts, two different perspectives, two different sides, and it's your job to be the impartial observer, make a judgment in about 3.2 seconds, restore peace to the kingdom, and it's easier said than done. Now, wouldn't it be nice to have a video camera set up to play back and review all he had said, she said, that goes on. You see, but God is that video camera. 
God is omniscient, omnipresent, and omnipotent. He has perfect knowledge, and he doesn't need a replay. He sees it all from beginning to the end. He's the Alpha and the Omega and everything in between. And when he steps, into you, when he steps in, you better be paying attention. I even love the verse in Nehemiah that says, Our God will fight for us. Job's friends have been going back and forth, but it's a beautiful thing to see. Job vindicated as God comes to his defense, because remember, as God set the record straight, he is your defender, and he will set the record straight. So God sets the record straight. In verses 10 and 11, we see that God will restore what's lost. You see, verse 10 and 11 says, And the Lord turned the captivity of Job when he prayed for his friends. And the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. Then there came unto him all his brethren and all his sisters and all they had been acquaintance before. And they did eat bread with him and in his house. And they bemoaned him and comforted him over all the evil that the Lord brought upon him. Every man also Gave him a piece of money, everyone an earring of gold. You see, our God's in the restoration business. I love the verse in the book of Joel where God promises his people, I will restore you to the years that the swarming locusts eaten. See, what does that mean? What does it mean? It means that God can restore what's lost. God can restore what's lost. If you want to figure out a new beginning for a new year, we can't sit there and bemoan and say, oh, what a cruddy year this is. I have no hope. There's this virus. Joe Biden, Camilla Harris administration, and the Democrats got the majority. And oh, my word, I don't know what to turn. We are focusing on the wrong thing, folks. Too, much, too many Christians are spending too much time in Facebook instead of their face being in the book. You see, God can restore what's lost. He can restore what the enemy has taken from you. He can restore all your relationships, your finances, your testimony, even your life as a whole. And maybe you know the whole story of Job. Maybe you've heard it since your childhood. Or maybe you're learning about it right now in this sermon. Or perhaps this is the first time you've even ever heard of his name. But I love how the story ends. You see, the multiple ways what Job was restored. The Bible says God restores the fortunes of Job. That's not just talking about money. It's not just talking about material wealth. But that's, that's part of it, but that's not all of it. And when Job's life went sideways, he felt like he lost it all. And not just all of his stuff and his family, but all of his friends and his respect in the community. And look how all of it returns as God begins to bless Job one more time. It said, God gave Job, the Lord gave Job twice as much as he had before. We'll talk about that more in the next session as we see the specifics, but we sh they showed him sympathy and they comforted him. They talked about this here and comforted him over all the evil. You see, and finally someone shows Job a little comfort and sympathy and sometimes that's what we need more than a sermon or a theological lesson. I just give, you know, sometimes we just give people lip service. You see, the Bible says, though, they gave to him. They, like, really gave. It says, every man also gave him a piece of money and an, every, an earring of gold. Now, that's what I'm talking about. They put their money where their mouth was, in a literal sense. But don't just say you feel bad for someone. Don't just say, I feel your pain. You show it. And it's not about material. It's what's behind it. It wasn't about the fact that they gave him money. It wasn't the fact that they gave him an earring of gold. It was what was behind that giving. 
God is in the restoration business. He restores what's lost. He sets the record straight. And number three, God, and I love this part, God writes the final chapter. God writes the final chapter in your life. We make plans and make plans. There's lots of plans to be made. There's lots of things to do, but the plans better be according to the will of God. But God will write the final chapter in your life, verses 12 through 17. You see, verses 12 through 17, it shows that the Lord blessed the latter end of Job more than the beginning. And this is why I said I'll get to that real in a little more detail. For he had 14,000 sheep, 6,000 camels, 1,000 yoke of oxen, and 1,000 she-asses. He had also given sons and three daughters. And he called the names of the first Jemima, and the name of the second Keziah, and the name of the third Karen Hapuk. I guess that's how you pronounce it. And in all the land where no woman found so fair as the daughters of Job, and their father gave them inheritance among their brethren. After this, Job lived 140 years, saw his sons, daughters, his sons, sons, even four generations. So Job died being old and full of days. Now I want to back up at some point and, some, and point something out that's really important. See, this last section specifies how God blessed and restored Job, okay? It gave you a little bit of specifics. But see, there's an important phrase in verse 10 that seems to be the key that opened up the blessings of heaven. Look at it carefully, okay? It says, go back to verse 10 real quick and look at this with me. Truly. All right, and if you underline things in your Bible, I'm going to have you underline some. Verse 10 says, and this is really the key. This is, why, this is how Job opened up that storehouse of blessing right there. It says, and the Lord turned the captivity of Job. In other words, he set him free. And underline this. When he prayed for his friends. Do you see it? It says when he prayed for his friends, it wasn't until Job was obedient in the significant matter that opened up the blessings from God of, out of heaven. And if I was Job, I could have said, you know, God, thanks, but no thanks. I'm pretty ticked at them right now. I'll get to them later. You see, I don't want to pray for those guys. You ever not want to pray for somebody? I mean, if we're honest with ourselves, there are times when I'm struggling with people. And I, don't, I don't want to pray. and I don't want to, Because I know if I pray, I've got to pray for them. So not only do I not want to pray for someone, I don't want to pray. And that's not doing me any good. And it's certainly not doing them any good. But I don't care about them at that moment, but I care about me enough, so I better at least start getting my knees and pray. And eventually, if I'm praying long enough and hard enough and contrite enough and earnest enough, God will hear those prayers, and my heart will change. You see, God was waiting on Job's obedience, and you see what happened? God blessed the latter days more than his beginning. See, God is writing your story. He's writing it right now. And if you don't like how it's going, just remember he's not finished with you yet. God's not finished with any one of us in this room tonight. He's not finished with America yet if we can just obey and if we can just pray, seek his face, and turn from our wicked ways. You see... He's not finished. And that just seems to be how it works. 
If I'm Job, I like the first few chapters of my life. I'm not really a fan of the middle chapters at all. But I'm grateful that God gets to write the ending because he was blessed more in the end than he was in the beginning. And that's because that's the kind of God we serve. Job had exactly twice as much in the end as he had in the beginning. He had a lot to start with and he was very successful. But now God blessed him even double than what he had the first time. But there's, there's, there is one exception. You see, Job, does anyone know how many children Job had in the beginning? He had 10. It said, the Bible says that he had seven sons and three daughters. That was in the beginning. Now, look here what the Bible says in verse 13 in chapter 42. This is, I love pointing this out because it's significant. Said he also had seven sons and three daughters. Hmm. Now, why doesn't he have 20? If, is that not what doubled? You ever wonder that? I mean, or are you wondering that now because maybe this is the first time you're seeing it? Well, when you think about it, his children weren't really gone. They might not be on earth hanging out with Job and the family, but perhaps they were in heaven. You see, Job would see them again one day. So in reality, Job still had 20 children. He still had double. Half of them in heaven, perhaps. That's speculation, but I think it's good speculation. One way or another, that's 20 children in his life. It's a lot of kids. I have trouble with six. So, but learn here. If we learn anything tonight, I want you to learn this. There may be some moments in our lives where we are choosing and making important decisions. But that does not take away from God's power and control over all things. Because He is the author and we need to trust Him with our lives. And He's writing the final chapter of Job's life. And He wrote wrote the final chapter of Job's life. And He's writing the final chapter in your life and in my life. You see... Verse 17 says, so Job died, being old and full of days. And even though God is writing our story, we must not conclude that every trial will end with all problems solved, all hard feelings forgiven, and everybody living happily ever after. It just doesn't always happen that way. You see, this year is a prime example. It truly is. And just because we've put our faith in God, it doesn't give us the absence of problems, but it does give us the presence of the problem solver. And this chapter assures us that no matter what happens in life, no matter what happens in the world around you, no matter who's in office and who's not in office, no matter if, if there's a pandemic or there's not a pandemic, if there's, you got to, whatever it is, folks, whatever we've been, been over, overwhelmed by, we have to understand we don't have to be afraid because God writes the last chapter. And we can trust God to do what's right, no matter how painful our situation might be. So to conclude your new beginning in life tonight, look at this last chapter of the book of Job. Take it home. 
Study it over and over again. Read the book of Job. I love that book. I love that book. Look at his complete life and realize that although we still don't have all the answers to the questions we've been asking, God is saying you won't ever have all the answers. You just need to trust me. So if God is enough for you, I ask you the question, will you trust him? Is God enough for you? Is he? I hear some amens, then are you going to trust him? Amen. God will give you a new beginning right now, but it doesn't happen automatically. First and foremost, if you're here tonight, I don't know everybody, I don't know even the people I know, I don't know your heart. You see, first and foremost, if you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, maybe you've been coming here for a short amount of time, maybe you're contemplating it, who knows? Maybe you made that decision a long time ago. But if you haven't, you need to repent of your sins and place your faith and trust in Christ alone. And he will give you that new beginning that can radically transform your ending. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, thank you for being the God of not just second chances, but multiple chances. God, thank you that you are the God of restoration. Thank you that you're not finished with me yet. If there's someone here within the sound of my voice that they're not certain if they're saved or, they don't, or they're not saved and they know and they, they, they want to know how to get to heaven. They want to be a new beginning. We're sick and tired of all the junk and all the garbage and we're here tonight and thank you, God. We're here tonight for just that bit of refreshment God, knowing that greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. If there's someone here tonight within the sound of my voice that doesn't know you as Savior, is not sure, may God, may you save them tonight. I want to invite you to the altar tonight. If you need Jesus Christ as your Savior, I'm here tonight. There's folks here. There's Brother Tim. There's, there's Brother Paul. There's people here tonight that would gladly take you aside, kneel with you, and show you from the Bible how you, know, how you can know you have eternal life. And it's so simple. God made it so simple. Really, I like to say it's as simple as ABC. We, A, got to admit we're sinners. We're sinners and we sin before a holy God. And B, we have to believe. Believe with all your heart that Jesus Christ died for your sins, was buried, and he rose again the third day according to the scriptures. And believe that he's alive today, waiting to come back to call you home. If you believe that, Admitting you're a sinner, then all you got to do is see. Confess your sins to him. Call upon the name of the Lord. The Bible says, if I confess with my mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in my heart that God raised him from the dead, thou shalt be saved. In Romans 10, 13, it says, for whosoever calleth upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. It's really that simple. And you say, Brother Scott, how do you do that? Well, I want to pray. I, if I want to pray this prayer, and if you pray this prayer with me and mean it with all your heart, it's not the prayer that saves you. It's just, it's a it's a prayer with that ingredient. It goes like this: If you want to get saved right now, God will save you right now for all of eternity. Pray this prayer and mean it, dear Lord Jesus. Be merciful to me, a sinner. I believe with all my heart that you died for my sins 
You were buried and you rose again the third day according to the scriptures. I believe that. And I confess everything I've ever done wrong. And God, I ask you to forgive me. And I'm calling upon you right now to come into my heart and save me and take me to heaven when I die. Thank you for saving me in Jesus' name. And Christian here tonight, if you are just sick and tired or you're tired, oh, let not your heart be troubled, the Bible says. Think of the story of Job. Think of the last chapter of Job and think that God's writing your final chapter too. And it's going to be wonderful should you let him, should you, should you live it out till he comes again. My prayer for every Christian here tonight is, Lord, help us to be focused on a new beginning every day. Renew our lives to you. If there's people here who are going to make a new commitment to you tonight, may they do it at this altar. Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.